in God's holy word to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and we continue looking at this portion of God's holy infallible word together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 and our text today um, is in verse 14 encourage the faint-hearted But let's get the context. Hear now the word of the living God. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We'll stop there with the reading of God's very word, and let's pray. O Lord, as your little children, we come and sit at your feet together, Lord Jesus, begging that you would come by your Spirit, And you, Lord Jesus, would preach your sweet, glorious, powerful, saving message to our hearts afresh, we who know you. And that, Lord, you would claim your lost sheep, uh, that you would 
revive our hearts uh, to love you and you would equip us, Lord, to serve you uh, with greater faithfulness and understanding and hope and usefulness, not only in our own hearts, but in our own homes, in our own church family, and beyond, for the praise of your name. Amen. At the end of the book of First Thessalonians, we have a string of instructions, practical uh, uh, marching orders, if you will. And we come now in verse 14. Uh, we've seen the context. The Lord Jesus is going to come again in glory. Uh, we do not know when that will be. And he tells us to be doing the king's business every day. Uh, because uh, someday um, a, a time will be up. Uh, either by us dying and going to be with the Lord or Jesus coming uh, and ending history. Um, whatever the case is in our own experience, um, we need to be ready. And so this emphasis in chapter 5 about being children of light and living in the Lord Jesus. And we see that in verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The life of a Christian is to know Jesus, and love Jesus, and live for Jesus, and delight in Jesus. When? Well, verse 10 Jesus is the one who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Uh, our life is summed up in this truth, this experience of belonging to Jesus, having union with the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. We live with him and when we die, our souls will go and be with him in his very presence. Now he comes by his spirit and lives in our hearts. And we live and walk by faith. And so what are we supposed to be doing? Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then the Lord gives to us some practical uh, uh, outworkings of what uh, is necessary for us to be uh, building each other up. Uh, first of all, we need to know what we're doing. And that's where the Word of God uh, and those that Jesus sends to teach us His Word uh, are, are so important. And you remember we went over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and saw that the risen, exalted Lord Jesus has given gifts. He gave gifts, apostles, prophets. Uh, those were 
the men that God used to lay the foundation to give us the scriptures, and then evangelists, pastors, and teachers take that word of God and for the rest of history are proclaiming that message, all focused in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but applied to every facet of life. The whole of the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, focusing on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh, and applied to every nook and cranny of our existence. At home, at work, at play, at school, civil government, everything we do, our eating and drinking, we want to do all to the glory of God. And that's what pastors and teachers are supposed to be doing, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Well, in the end of verse 13, we see, be at peace among yourselves. And then in verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. And we've looked at those, and we come now to the next practical category, if you will, of application of what it looks like to be ministering to the body to be building one another up. Encourage the faint-hearted. Now, I had originally planned to uh, take about three of these instructions at a, at a whack, but it was just too, too good. It was too juicy uh, that, uh, to eat all at once. We, we just have to take smaller bites. And so today we're going to look, encourage the faint-hearted. Um, this matter of encouraging the faint-hearted, I, I want you to remember now in verse 14, uh, we urge you, brothers, uh, this is a crucial thing. Uh, this is something that uh, all of these commands are in the present tense, meaning that this is something that keeps going on. It's not a one-time deal. Uh, and it's, it's important. It's crucial. We urge you, brothers, here's something we need to be doing. Encourage the faint-hearted. Well, first of all, let's think a little bit about what it means to be faint-hearted. And this is a unique Greek word here. It is the only time this specific word is used in the whole of the New Testament. But there are many other synonyms in the Greek language that are, are very uh, uh, close uh, uh, closely associated with this particular term. And uh, if you'll turn with me, we're going to look at a couple of, of character traits, if you will, about what it means to be faint-hearted. Now, in the term itself, faint-hearted, uh, when somebody faints, what happens to them? 
Um, I was a music major in college, and one of the things that was always a challenge was when one of the particular choirs would go and sing in a, a, a place where there was not air conditioning. And the director would tell us, now don't lock your knees when you sing. And I don't know physiologically, um, our dear doctor, maybe he can explain why this is, is such a deadly thing, but if you lock your knees when you're standing for a period of time, evidently it, it causes the blood flow in your brain to be restricted in some way, and people are more susceptible to just fainting. And I will never forget, uh, we were singing in this great big hot uh, mall, uh, shopping mall, and um, there were several of the ladies in this choir and it was just kind of like dominoes. One of them keeled over, and then another one keeled over, and it, none of them hit, hit the deck hard because the people behind them, the tenor section, they just gently, you know, helped them, you know, down. But it, it was a little disconcerting. Here, here you had this uh, choir that was singing, and all of a sudden people are just, well, they're not singing anymore. They're, they're, it, it's, it's like they're unconscious. They're, they fainted. Well, here's the picture of, of people who spiritually are fainting. Spiritually, they, it, it, it's like they've just temporarily keeled over. In Hebrews chapter 12, we have a description uh, of, of what it looks like to be faint-hearted. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so here's this picture of people who have, have grown weary, they, they are beginning to spiritually just keel over because a life has gotten so difficult and hard. Uh, uh, perhaps sin has, has crept into themselves or someone near to them or the effects of living in a fallen world. They've seen sickness or death. And their heart is beginning to faint spiritually. They're, they're starting to keel over. They no longer uh, have the, the vigor and the strength to keep running, but they're 
they're slowing down and they've lost sight of the beauty of Jesus. Uh, uh, their heart is growing tired and, and they're beginning to let go of, of the only Savior. Another passage that describes for us what it looks like to be faint-hearted is over in the book of Isaiah. And if you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42, here we have a description of Messiah. In Isaiah 42, in the midst of this, it describes how Jesus is so gentle and, and tender with those who are on the verge of fainting. Uh, and, and it describes what it looks like uh, to be faint-hearted. Look at Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, talking about the Lord Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And so you think about this description of Messiah first. I, I want you to notice that God says Messiah will not grow weary, discouraged, or faint. He, he's not going to be faint-hearted. Why, why would he be tempted to be faint-hearted? Well, look at the task that he is given. And so not only do people get faint-hearted because of either their own sin or other people's sin or they just get weary or tired, but sometimes the task or the circumstances or situation that is before them are so overwhelming that they they just say well I just give up that's it and Jesus he will never grow faint-hearted he will never faint he will never grow weary or discouraged and as we're going to see that is at the very heart of what's going to keep us from fainting is to look to the one who never faints, to look to the one who is the perfect, glorious Savior. But I want you to notice, what is the task that the Father has given his Son? It is to bring forth justice to the nations, uh, to step into the ring of human history with all of the messed up world aspects and Jesus is going to deal with all of it. 
And he will not grow weary or discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. In other words, he won't ever grow weary or discouraged. Uh, He is going to continue to exert his power and his mercy and his love and his grace and his saving presence and deal with evil, crushing all that oppose his law, his rule, his saving purposes, either converting or crushing all of his enemies. And the Lord Jesus will not grow faint or discouraged. But I want you to notice that he deals with people who are faint-hearted. And they're described in verse 3. And so here's this picture of people who he's dealing with. And what are some of these people? Well, they're the bruised reed. Uh, That's what it looks like to be faint-hearted. A bruised reed, if you touch it one more time, tink. And when when my children were uh, young, a lot of times they would pick flowers for their mama. And a lot of wildflowers are very delicate, you know, particularly violets. Uh, And if you pick them, you've got to be really careful because their stems are very, very, very delicate. And these little children would go out and grab these flowers, you know, And by the time they would get them to their mama, the flowers would just be kind of, you know, leaning over. And you had to be really careful putting those flowers in the, in, in the vase because they, they were not long for this earth. If you just touched them the wrong way, the, the flower would just fall off. Well, that's how... We get, apart from the grace of God, just looking at our own uh, sin, uh, looking at our own consistencies, looking at our own uh, uh, failures. Oh, it's easy to grow discouraged. Looking at other people's sin and, and inconsistencies. It's easy for us to feel like a bruised reed. That if one more thing happens, we're gone. And the Lord Jesus, oh, he is so gentle and tender with the bruised reed. He will not break the bruised reed. And then the next description in verse 3 is, uh, he will not extinguish or snuff out the burning wick, the smoldering wick. You know, when you blow a candle out, a lot of times it smokes for just a little bit, and there's just a little ember left. The flame's gone, but there's just a little little ember left, little spark. It's trying to burn. It wants to keep burning, but it just, the, the, the flame's gone. All it has left is one little spark. And it's on the verge of being completely extinguished. That's what it 
looks like to be faint-hearted. That the flame has gone out. We're weary. We're tired. We're discouraged. We've lost sight of the glory of Jesus, of the beauty of Jesus. Our heart no longer is flaming with fire for the Lord. We no longer have zeal and vigor and strength. There's just a little spark left. We're still spiritually putting one foot in front of another uh, in life, but but we're just we we feel like we're just going to keel over completely. And Jesus is so gentle and tender and kind, and He will not break the bruised reed. He will not reach out and just take his fingers and uh, to snuff out the smoldering wick. Well, that kind of gives you a, a, a picture in your mind about what it looks like to be faint-hearted. And we've already touched on um, the cure. But let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And, and look at a couple of other things. God says, encourage the faint-hearted. Now you remember, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this word encourage uh, really is a, a, a delightful uh, term. Um, the, the Greek word parakaleo, the, the noun is paraclete. And this term is two Greek words that are glued together. Uh, Kaleo is a a Greek term that means to speak. And para means alongside. And so it's the picture of somebody coming alongside you to speak to you. uh, That revives your heart. And God has given himself this title. He is the paraclete. And all three persons of the Godhead are identified by this term in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and and you have to turn there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Beginning in verse 3, I want you to see, first of all, that the Father identifies himself as the encourager or comforter, uh, uh, helper. Those are the three main uh, uh, English terms that we use to translate this Greek term. Comfort, help, encourage. Uh, the noun, a comforter, an encourager, a helper. And so here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And there's your term. It's translated comfort here instead of encourage. But it's the same thing. And God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us, same term, in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those 
who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so here God the Father is identified as the comforter. He's the one who comforts us in all our affliction so that we can comfort those around us with the same comfort that we are comforted with uh, so that God will be praised. Over in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus had announced in chapter 14 that he was going away. And the disciples were dismayed. This just shook them. They they could not believe their ears. What, What do you mean you're going away? And then he told them something even more astounding. It's to your advantage that I go away. And they're, they're reeling from this, but Jesus is declaring to them an amazing truth. And it's about another helper. Look at verse 16. And I will add, of chapter 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And the word helper there is the same Greek word. Uh, here the Holy Spirit is referred to as another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so here, uh, uh, God the Holy Spirit, uh, the Lord Jesus comes back to this theme in chapter 15 and chapter 16. We won't take the time to look at it uh, this morning. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Father is the comforter. But what is this another helper in a reference to? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And here we see that God the Son is referred to by this same term. The helper. The one who comforts. Or here it's translated consolation. But it's the same, same Greek term. In verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Here Messiah is referred to as the one who will come and comfort Israel. The one who will come and encourage Israel. Help, uh, console. Jesus is the comforter. And when he tells his disciples, I'm going to send, the Father will send, I and the Father will send another comforter. Uh, he, He was a comforter. And then he turns around and says, I'm not going to leave you as little orphans. 
I will come to you, but I'm going to be gone. And they're going, Ooh, I sure can't figure this out. What do you mean? You're going to be gone, but you'll be with us, and another comforter is coming. And oh, they were just reeling. But God is so kind to us that our God comes and speaks. He comes alongside us and speaks his gospel to our hearts. He comes to those who are faint-hearted. And Jesus speaks the words of life to revive us and to give us hope anew that there is a God who loves us and is given His Son to redeem us. And we are in His nail-scarred hands. And we can trust this glorious Savior. And it's our joy to follow Him. It's our joy to serve Him. It's our joy to obey Him, to do His bidding. And if our path is easy, we say, Lord, keep me faithful to you. Lord, don't let me grow fat and sassy and forget you and think I don't need you. Don't let me be like the children of Israel that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where God warned them when you come into the promised land, you're going to eat. Food you didn't plant, you're going to live in houses you didn't even build. And when that happens, don't let your heart be lifted up and you become proud. And you forget the Lord your God that He's the one who is giving you all these things. Years ago, I was riding with a, a dear, dear friend of mine. Um... In, in his pickup truck and we were praying together as we were riding and one of the things he prayed just struck me he said Lord I pray that you'd make me as prosperous as I can be and still be holy and I thought huh I, that's, that's quite a prayer Lord prosper me because we were, we were riding on his farm and he was praying for his crops. And he said, Lord, make me as prosperous as I can be. Lord, you know whether it would be uh, good for me to have a bumper crop. But Lord, if I can't handle a bumper crop, if, if, if my heart would be all full of pride and arrogance, then, then Lord, you, you give me what's best for me. But the important thing is that I love and follow you. And, and so Jesus is the one who... Uh, he, he, knows, he knows what we need. And to be faint-hearted is to lose sight of that. And so your circumstance may be that God has opened the windows of heaven and you've got a bumper crop. Well, you can grow faint-hearted with a bumper crop. <laughs> be careful. But there's also the danger of growing faint-hearted when times are tough. Uh, we don't generally think about growing faint-hearted when we're, everything's growing well. 
Uh, why is it that the experience of most Christians is the closest times we have with the Lord Jesus, when we look back on it, are times of great distress and trouble? Ought not be that way. Should it? That ought not be when we look back that the times we uh, are the closest, when the times that we are most intent of seeking after the Lord it is, is when there have been heartaches that have come. But for most of us, sadly, that's the case because for most of us, we can't stand wealth and still be holy. But may the Lord stir us up to be a people who pray. Well, we're going to close by looking at uh, one application of all of this that God gives us in His Word. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And here God gives us an illustration that really is startling. It is an illustration of a whole generation of people who spiritually fainted. And God brings this illustration forth and says, Look, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be like this. Look, um, here we have in chapter 3, um, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Don't let go of Jesus. He's worth everything. And here were people who, times were hard. And they were tempted to what? Let go of Jesus. And so he brings forth this illustration now. We don't want to be like these people who let go of the Christ. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And so here's the generation that had seen the plagues of Egypt culminating in the tenth plague, the killing of the firstborn in all of Egypt. But those who had sacrificed 
the Passover lamb and sprinkled the blood by faith on their lintel and doorposts. When God saw the blood, he passed over that house. And the firstborn of man and beast of that house did not die. They come to the Red Sea, and God parts the sea. And God fed them manna from heaven and meat in abundance and water from a rock in a desert. And he brings them now to the promised land. And what do they do? They fainted. They said, oh, there are giants in the land. We can't go in and take that land. Those giants, they'll squish us like a man kills a grasshopper and, and capture our children and, and make them slaves. We can't do this. They fainted in unbelief. And so here's the take home. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, and here's our word now, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so one of the antidotes that God has given for us so that we won't faint, we won't become faint-hearted, is God says we need to encourage one another. And how do we encourage one another? We encourage one another by pointing them to the encourager, to the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no encouragement. There's no hope. There's no life apart from Jesus. And you'd think I would know that. I've walked with Jesus many, many years, but I still have to go to remedial school from time to time. God loves me so much, he says, Now, Henry, what, what are you doing going down this path? What are you doing over here discouraged and weary and cold-hearted? And so Jesus graciously either will bring some truth from His Word by His Spirit directly speaking to us through the Holy Scriptures, or another person will remind us of some precious truth. But God comes, and sometimes He uses other Christians to be the tool in His hand to encourage us. Oh, may God stir us up because we want to be that tool, don't we? In our own homes, to be a tool in Jesus' hand to encourage husband and wife and parents and children, brothers and sisters, to keep clinging to Jesus and following Him, to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's true. We want to do that in our church family. If you see people that have quit coming, what should you do? Call them. 
Say, how you doing? I love you. I miss you. We need to be encouraging one another. If you see a brother or a sister stumbling, what should we do? We ought to reach out and say, you know, I, I struggle and I have a tough time also. And I know, obviously, you're going through a tough time. I just want you to know I love you. And I'm praying for you. How can I help you? <laughs> Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Lest any one of us be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for being the God of all comfort. Oh, Father, we praise you that you have given your Son to be the consolation of your people. How we praise you that you, oh, Father and Son, have sent your Spirit to come and live in the hearts of your little children. You haven't left us as orphans, Lord Jesus. And Lord, you are our comfort. You are our helper. You are our encouragement. And Lord Jesus, we beg that you would stir us up and grow us to be tools in your hand. More useful tools, more ready tools, compassionate tools, bold tools to be encouraging one another more and better for your praise. Grant it, Lord Jesus. In your sweet name we pray. Amen.